if you guys would pray with me, there's a, a family in our community. A couple months ago, um, the dad and two of his sons came down with the virus, the COVID, and um, they were in the hospital, all three of them at the same time. They're the Tapia family. And um, on uh, August 15th, dad ended up passing away. And just yesterday, uh, their son Danny passed away too. And he didn't have the, the, the virus anymore, but he just had the complications of residuals from that. And so I was fortunate enough, they let me in at the hospital to go pray with him. He wasn't conscious, but God knows exactly where his heart is at. And just being with the family, and this is a family that I've known in the community. I don't think they've ever come to this church, but we've been a part of, you know, just getting to know these these people. And um, so uh, it's the Tapia family. Uh, they're just battling. We've got a basket together for them. I'm going to be meeting with them tomorrow. And um, just pray that God just, again, what, what do you say, right? So just kind of being there with the family. And so uh, just pray for them, and, and I'm going to lift them up. I told I told them that we'll we'll be praying as a church for them. They're just so grateful that uh, that people are praying for them. And uh, some of you guys know Norm Carter. He um, he just uh, he's back in the hospital. He just had a kidney removed because they had some cancerous stuff in there. They got all of it, but he just had a blood clot yesterday, and so they got that, which is like, dude, you're getting too jacked up. Let's not do that no more. So, but let's pray for these people, and then we'll get on with our study. Jesus, in, in heaven, we just want to bless you and thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be able to come before you with my brothers and sisters, Lord. You know, these things have been heavy on my heart all day and just praying for these families, Lord. And Father, we pray for our brother Norm. Lord, uh, again, Lord God, we just love him dearly and we pray that, Lord, you would just continue to touch and heal him. And I thank you that they found it really quick, Lord God. And and I pray that, Lord, him and Linda would just be strengthened through all of this right now and just bring them home quickly, Lord. Uh, Father, we do pray for the Tapia family. Lord, I, I can't even imagine what Gloria, the mom, is going through, losing her husband and then losing a son, Lord. I pray for her, Lord. I pray, God, that you'd surround her and that you would just somehow, Lord God, be peace to her, be rest to her, bring comfort, Lord. Show her, Lord God, that you haven't abandoned them, Lord, even through all of this. I pray, God, for Joe and his wife, Lord, and the rest of the family, and I'm sure it's just weighing heavy on them. And so, Lord, we just want to be faithful to lift them up to you. Lord, that we as a, a, as a, a church can reach out to our community like this. Lord, I'm so, so blessed. And I pray, God, that, Lord, somehow you would just reveal yourself in such a powerful way and drawing this family to yourself, Lord, through, through this tragedy. And we know that you're able, Lord. We know that you can. And so I pray for them, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we get to have to lift them up, Lord. And so, Lord, we also pray as we open up your word, you would speak, that you would help me, Lord, in delivering this message, Lord. Father, I pray, God, that you would just minister to our hearts, Challenge us, Lord God. Convict us. Um, bring us to our knees even, Lord. And I, I just thank you for that. And I just thank you for your word that is power. And so, Lord, please use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are entering into the second to the last chapter of the book of Hosea. So if you will, turn to Hosea chapter 13. 
We have one more chapter, and so I'm assuming we'll, we will be done with it next week um, when we get together again. We're reminded in these first eight verses that we'll be covering um, of God's unceasing love, because that's what this chapter is made up of, these, these first eight verses of this chapter. And I know that as I read them, and as we read them, um, it may not sound that way to us. You know, just because of the way it reads, it might not sound like you're going to go, where's this unceasing love, bro, that you're talking about? But when you consider the true wrath of God, and you know that this is not wrath, but discipline. And as I shared with you last week, the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. And so again, you, you, hopefully you can catch that and I can make sense of it for you. And the last part of chapter 13, the rest of the verses that we will cover tonight, and all of 14 that we will cover next time, we will see the ultimate restoration of Israel. And again, as I'm reading through it, it may not sound that way to some. But again, consider what the, the ultimate destruction of what some nations look like when God is done with them. And you consider that, that again, it doesn't even come close when He's bringing judgment and He's bringing discipline. This would almost, as we read this, this week and, and next week, it's almost like the ultimate hardcore timeout for, for a nation. It's like he's going to put them on, on time out in comparison to the wrath of God. And if you've ever read like the book of, 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 of Revelation and you see God's ultimate wrath that is poured out, this is nothing. This is a time out for his people. But again, I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay in any way, shape or form God's discipline. But there's a distinction to be made between the wrath of God and the disciplines of the Lord. And so we, we, we need to understand that. Um, so Hosea chapter 13. Let's read the first eight verses. When Ephraim spoke, trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. But when he off offended through Baal worship, he died. Now they sin more and more. And have made for themselves molten images, idols of their silver according to their skill. All of it is the work of craftsmen. They say to them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they shall be like the morning cloud, like the early dew that passes away, like chaff blown off from the threshing floor and like smoke from a chimney. Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt and you shall know no other, no God before me for there is no Savior besides me. I knew you in the wilderness and in the land of great drought. When they had pasture, they were filled 
they were filled, and their heart was exalted. Therefore, they forgot me. So I will be to them like a lion, like a leopard. By the road, I will lurk. I will meet them like a bear deprived of her cubs. I will tear open their ribcage, and there I will devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. Again, as, I, as, I, as we read through it, again, you're going, where's this? Where's this love, this unceasing love? Because again, it continues to, to play out as if he continues to bring these implications, these charges against them. And again, you have to understand that again, God could have just literally destroyed them when they disobeyed, when they passed that line and said, that's enough, and, and it goes off on them. But he doesn't do that. He's not like your, your father who, who was so short-tempered you know, or, or, or maybe you, you know, that, that, that you're, you're so short-tempered. God is long-suffering. He suffers long. And thank God that He does because when you sinned and when I sinned, He didn't cast us out right away. He is so patient with us. That's not to say that we should take advantage of His kindness and His, his patience and His grace. But I don't know about you, but I've done it many, many times because I know that He's patient. And I know you guys are like, oh, Pastor Zeke, you shouldn't do that. It's like, well, I know that. But he is my dad. And so when we look at this, you're going, oh, man, he's still kind of coming down on them. Again, this is a judgment kind of book, but the theme is redeeming love. He will redeem them. So he's playing out this, all these scenarios. And so when it says in verse 1, when Ephraim spoke, We have learned throughout the book of Hosea that the name Ephraim is synonymous with the whole of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, that, that when they had that split, they were on the northern side of Jerusalem area, a little further than Jerusalem, all the way up. They are also known as Israel, as opposed to the southern kingdom, who is referred to as Judah. In the book of Hosea, Ephraim is found 37 times. So again, we're seeing this, this name pop up time and time again and refer to the northern kingdom. So we can see that there was an importance to this name, Ephraim. Ephraim is, is considered to be one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But in reality... He was the grandson of Jacob. You see, Ephraim, along with his brother Manasseh, were the sons of Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, whom Jacob adopted, so to speak, and whose birth order he, Jacob, reversed in Genesis 48. You see, Manasseh was the firstborn, but Jacob gave the honor to Ephraim. Why? Because Ephraim would become greater. So if you will, if you'd like, you don't have to, but you can turn to Genesis 48 because as I'm studying, as I'm looking at this, I'm going back to refresh my memory of all of, all of this kind of story. I'm not covering all the story, but portions of the story. I, I, I want to read it to you as to why, 
how and why Ephraim is a, the prominent one of the two. Most of the time in the book of Hosea, Ephraim refers to the northern kingdom as a whole. But this time, this verse, this portion of Scripture, the prophet was addressing the tribe of Ephraim. They were a big tribe, but they, they didn't encompass all of the northern kingdom, but they were a, a prominent tribe. And so in particular, Hosea singles out the arrogant attitude of the tribe of Ephraim in verses 1, 2, and 3. But we can attribute, but we can also attribute to Ephraim as, an, as a nation the arrogance that they possessed. And so if you're there, oh, maybe I should get there too. But I have a bookmark and you don't. So chapter 48, beginning in verse 8 to verse 20. Then Israel, which is Jacob, then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and, brought, and, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. So Joseph took them both, Ephraim on his right hand towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near to him or brought him near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hand knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he told his father, took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's hand to head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father. So this one is the firstborn, for this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. 
He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a, a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. I, I wanted to read it to you because, again, we've been going through this time and looking at Ephraim. Ephraim was a, a people that felt that they were very, very important, that they were this very important tribe, and they desired or thought that they deserved to be listened to and to be obeyed. Again, they had this special blessing on them that I'm sure other nations and other tribes had blessings, but, but somehow this, this people, Ephraim, thought that they were just a cut above, a little better. And so when they spoke, men trembled. When, when Ephraim spoke, men shook with fear because of, of the promise that they had and the blessing that they had had from their forefather. So they felt pretty important. And why not? After all, Joshua, the one that would come after, after Moses, he was from the tribe of Ephraim. And in their... Uh, and, and also their first king, when they did the split from the northern kingdom, Jeroboam the, the first, he was also from the tribe of Ephraim. The tabernacle of testimony, which was set up or pitched in Shiloh, which was in the northern part of Israel, in Ephraim as well. And in their arrogance, the tribe of Ephraim created problems both for Gideon and Jephthah in Judges. So, so they were always kind of against the authority. After the, the, the death of King Saul, the Ephraimites refused to submit to David's rule. So they were always kicking somewhat. In fact, they had a strong prejudice against the ruling tribe, which was normally the tribe of Judah. And so when the northern kingdom was established, the Ephraimites were so powerful that the kingdom was even named after them. And so you could see and understand how, how these guys, how he exalted himself in Israel. And there's something to be said when someone is, is becoming famous, <laughs> when, when they're becoming big, when they, when they know that, that God is using them. And it happens, and we see it a lot in the world, that when somebody starts climbing the ladder, they become more and more important, and they don't have time for the little guy, and they think, and they, 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 they think that they should be hurt because they have this power. And, and I hate to say it, but even within the Christian church, that sometimes you see these ministries that are that God's moving, and, and you realize it's like, man, be careful because it can go to your head and you can become exalted. You, you can think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And that's what happened with the tribe of Ephraim. 
They were blessed because God blessed them. Not because they were anything special. Again, he was the younger. And yet, for some reason, God had laid it on Jacob to do this instead of this, and he blessed him, and, and, and he was more prominent. And yet, it, it, it got to him because he exalted himself in Israel. And, and, and we need to be careful when, when God uses us in any shape, matter, or form that we don't become haughty or think that we're better than anyone else because we're not. God just uses any vessel. As long as you're open, God can use a vessel. Not because you're that special. He needs a vessel. And again, obedience is great. And if God exalts you and, and lifts you up, be careful because as, as, as easy as He could lift you up, He could bring you down. And that's what we see happening. For all these years, God had used Ephraim in the northern kingdom, and yet now we see Ephraim in this place of being disciplined and the judgment coming upon them. And, and, and I'm sure they're thinking, but I'm Ephraim. You blessed me. Look at all that we have here, God. How could you now be bringing your discipline on us, your judgment? And that was part of the problem. You see, they became so big and they, they thought that everybody should, should be intimidated by them. And it continues in verse 1, it says, And when he offended through Baal worship, he died. As this prominent tribe, as prominent as they were. It's interesting because they ended up being led astray. And maybe they thought, well, of course, God is still there, but we can go and do other things. And they began to worship and be led in the worship of Baal. And, and, and because of that, when they started it, they were already as good as dead. And in other words, they brought about a spiritual death. What is interesting is they never forgot the Lord God of Israel. You see, they, it's almost like they had the Lord God of Israel and they knew they could run to Him anytime they got in trouble. And yet they added to the God of Israel. And they didn't see anything wrong with it. They thought they were okay. Whenever they were prosperous and they were at that time, oftentimes they forgot that God was the one that had given them all this prosperity and they worshiped Baal and did worship to him instead. And I love the fact that even though that was going on, God never forgot about them, that he was truly their God. Again, he's going to redeem them because they've gone so far out of, out of his, 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 you know, in following him. And as they worshipped the Baals, verse 2 says, now they sinned more and more. As they grew, as they continued to make molded images of silver, the work of their hands. God never really blessed them, even though he continued to take care of them. And we saw this in the beginning of Hosea, when Hosea marries a prostitute, and she goes out whoring around, and Hosea, God tells him, hey, go provide for her still. Showing that this is what God had done all along. He met their needs. And yet they attributed any of their blessings to their gods, just like 
Hosea's wife, Gomer, attributed all that she had to her lovers. And yet God was the one that continued to take care of them, even as they are worshiping. And you would think that they would come to their senses at one point and stop knowing, no, God is the one that truly blesses us. It's not these calves. but yet they continue to do it more and more. And I don't know if you've ever been caught up. And I don't want to just say caught up in a sin, but it's a sin nonetheless. You're caught up in even something that's good, that has distracted you. You haven't forgotten about God because you know He's there, but it's distracted you in some, in some way that, that you keep on doing it and doing it, and you're taking from the blessings that God wants to give you, but you don't stop doing it because you're going, well, it's really not that bad. It's not like I'm out going out on my wife or I'm, I'm out cheating or I'm doing this. It's just this. But you've taken your eyes off the Lord and you continue to do it more and more. And it almost seems like you've become spiritually dead and you're going, but I'm still a Christian. It's like, yeah, by name only right now. <laughs> Not that you've lost your salvation, but you're missing out on everything that God has for you. And this is what we see Israel continuing to do. They're crafting their own gods, if you will, and continuing to go after them. And it's interesting because when it says, towards the end of verse 2, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. That, that phrase can literally read, sacrificers of men kiss calves. The NIV reads like this. It is said of these people, they offered human sacrifices, or human sacrifice, and kiss the calf idols. You see, the, the northern kingdom gladly participated in Jeroboam's man-made religion. You see, when, when the, the nations split, all the priests, they stayed with the southern kingdom. And Jeroboam decided, well, we'll make our own priests. They don't have to be from the line of, of Levi or, or, or of Aaron. We'll make our own priests. We'll just set them up. Again, God had told them, no, you worship at, 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 at the tabernacle over here. You worship at, 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 the, at the temple that's in Jerusalem, but they're going, that's ah, too far. And, and they thought, if people keep on going down there, they're going to join with them. So they made their own shrines, their own temple, if you will. And so it was a man-made religion, and by sacrificing, they sacrificed to these golden calves that they had set up even to offer human sacrifices and kissing the calves that they worship, which is interesting because the next day they would use these calves to go plow their field. Not the golden ones, but the real calves. But they worship these things. And the Bible speaks about uh, child sacrifice in conjunction with the worship of the god Molech, who, who was kind of an offshoot of... Baal and, and Asterisk. Again, it was sometimes combined with the worship of Baal. Leviticus 18, 21 says, And you shall not 
let any of your descendants pass through the fire of, of Molech. Nor shall you profane my name. I am the Lord. A couple chapters later in Leviticus 20, verse five, uh, four, 2 to 5, says again, you shall not, again, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever is a child or children of Israel or of the stranger who dwells in Israel, who gives any of this, of his descendants to Molech, they shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not kill him, I will set my face against that man and against his family and I will cut him off from his people and all the who prostitute themselves with him commit harlotry with Molech. One more verse in regards to that. Jeremiah 32, 35, it says, And they built the high places of Baal, which, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnon, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire of Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. The, the, these people, again, they had gotten to a point where they were actually giving up their kids in sacrifice because, because that's what it required. And, and they let these kids go and they passed them through the fire, a horrendous death, thinking that they were appeasing that God. God never required that from them. He says in verse 3, Therefore, they shall be like the morning cloud and like the, the early dew that passes away, like chaff blown off from the threshing floor and like smoke from a chimney. All, all these idols that they worshipped are nothing. And you can read through the Psalms where it tells us that they, they, that they make them and they become like them. Because they make them in their own images. They have eyes, they have ears, they have all these, these things that they look, but they can't do a thing. They're inanimate objects. They can't help you. And, and, and Hosea compares the people to the nothings that they were worshiping. And, and, and he, 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 he compares them to the nothings that they were familiar with. The morning cloud, mist or fog. The morning dew, which when the sun came up would burn away rather quickly. The chaff that the wind would blow away because it's worthless. And smoke that ends up disappearing as it goes out through the chimney. And you see it no more. 
That, that's what these people were. It's interesting because it sounds like it happened so quickly and, and yet it's happened and he has given them time to repent and they haven't. And all of this happens now. And I'm sure they're going, well, wait a minute, God. Why would you allow this to happen? It's like, because I let you go for all this long. And now the judgment has come. And yet in verse 4, he says, I am the, God, I am the Lord your God. Ever since the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God before me, for there is no Savior beside me. The, the, these verses here that the prophet Hosea focuses on, on one of their other sins that they were commit, committing that God condemned from the northern kingdom. And that was the nation's ingratitude. But it's the same old story, isn't it? The Jews were glad for what God had done with their forefathers in bringing them out of slavery from, from, the ex, or, or from Egypt in, you know, and, and provide the exodus, the exit from them. God provided and guided them through the wilderness so much so that their clothes didn't even wear out. He provided manna for them on a continual basis. He took care of them. And then when he allowed them to go into the promised land, now they had an abundance of wealth. And yet, they never showed, showed any sincerity, any gratitude, if you will, for all that God had done for them. Oh, they understood that when trials came, they would turn to God. And God, because He's a merciful God and a gracious God towards His people, would help them. But in their prosperity, they became proud. And they turned away from God to idols. And again, isn't that the same story that happens in people's lives? I'm not saying that it happens all the time, but I think oftentimes when, when times are good, the economy is just roaring. People are busy, man, because again, you're making the money and you're buying the things and now I got to go use them. And you almost, again, put God to the to the side until something happens and then all of a sudden you get woken up and going, man, how did I end up here? And it happens so subtly oftentimes. And I think oftentimes what we're thinking or we're not thinking, but, but this is what's happening. Well, times are good. God is blessing. God is allowing me to go do this, go do this, go do that. And it's like, really, is God allowing you to miss fellowship all the time? Is that what he wants? Is that why he gave you all of these things so your possessions can now possess you? And, and, and again, there's a danger when those things happen. And I know what, what the normal reaction should be from us is like, okay, it's not bad to have riches. Yeah, sometimes it is bad to have riches. Because again, they end up drawing you away. And the only time that you really need God is when a calamity hits. And what are we saying? Lord, bring on those calamities because that's the only time I'm really truly close to you. And, and you're going, no, I don't want the calamities. So again, it's almost like, well, there has to be this balance. God is not against those things. But when they begin to possess you, when you begin, they become, you know, your idols and, and those things that happen in your life. And it could be just about anything. That's where these people were, were at. And it's interesting because Moses warned them about this type of sin. But they committed it just the same, if you will. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 to 20. Moses speaking to the people. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, with which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water to you out of the flint rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end. Verse 17, Then you say in your heart, My power and my might of my hands have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant with which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be, if by any means, if, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Isn't it a sad, sad commentary? Not just in, in, in our lives, in Christians' lives, you know, because again, we can, we can beat that dead horse right there. But this is where we find Ephraim. Ephraim, the one that, that Jacob blessed on purpose, saying, you will become a great nation. I will bless you. You're the younger, but you will be like the older. God will bless you and take care of you and go before you. Hosea says in verse 6, When they had pasture and were filled. When they were pastured out there. That is, when I fed them, they were filled and they were satisfied. And he's describing these sheep, this cattle that's grazing peacefully. And, re and in return for such blessings that they should have acknowledged their Lord, God, their Savior, who had given them all of this. Instead, they became proud. And they forgot him. And so he tells them in verse 7 and 8, so I will be like a lion. 
Oh, it's not in the positive light that we're getting here. It's not like the Lion of Judah here. No, I will be like a lion, a leopard, and a bear. And I will rip you apart. It's kind of sad. It's kind of sad that in their abundance, they were too busy to serve the Lord God who gave them the abundance. They went after those things that were empty. When he filled them, they forgot about God. And again, that that it would be a warning to each and every one of us that again, God wants to bless our lives. But what do we do with those blessings? Do we allow those blessings to now dictate what we do and what we don't do? Or do we put them in their proper place and we honor God with our possessions, with whatever he has laid at our responsibility that we would say that will never be on the throne? The name Ephraim means fruitful, doubly fruitful in one commentary. And as they were very, a very, very fruitful tribe. And they had been promised an abundance of blessings. It's too bad that God's people didn't use what God gave them for His glory. Sad. Verse 9. O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. I will be your king. Where is any other that he may save you in all your cities? And your judges to whom you said, give me a king or princes. I gave you a king in my wrath. And took him away in my, or my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up; his sin is stored up. The sorrow of a woman in in childbirth shall come upon him. He is an unwise son. He shall, for he should not stay long where children are born. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plague. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. Though he is fruitful among the brethren, the east wind shall come. The wind of the Lord shall come upon, shall come upon from the wilderness. Then his spring shall be dried, and his fountain shall be dried up. He shall plunder the treasury of every desirable prize. Samaria is held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child ripped open. The ironic thing here is that the helper of Israel will become the destroyer, their God. Because they continued to be against him. And they would not repent. And the Lord keeps his promises when it comes to judgment and disobedience. 
He, gives, he gave them time and time and time to repent, and they would not. And because now the judgment is coming, he still says, but I will be your king. He will continue to be their king, even though they have to go through the woodshed, even now that they have to be destroyed the way they will be destroyed because God keeps his promise. The New Living Translation puts verse 9 like this. You are about to be destroyed, O Israel. Yes, by me, your only helper. I will bring, I will be your king. I, I love the fact, again, that even though judgment, discipline, had to come, it almost sounds like a parent who has to discipline his child and then remind them as he's disciplining them, but I still love you. I'm still your dad. That doesn't change that I have to spank you. It doesn't change that I have to do these things and discipline you so you can learn. Not because I hate you, but because I love you. I am still your dad. I will, I will be your king. And he says, where are the other that he may save you from the cities and your judges whom you said, give me your king, a king and a prince? In other words, where's all your friends right now? Where's all those people who said, I'll, I'll, I'll go through it with you, bro. I, I don't know if, if your kids ever or if you ever did this to your kids or your parents did this to, to you when you were in trouble with all your little buds and now you're getting in trouble and they're not getting in trouble. Hey, where's your friends at now, bro? <laughs> Where are they? They're not helping you right now. They're not saving you from the discipline and the spankings that I have to give you right now. Where are they? They cannot come and rescue you because they don't love you like I love you. He says, I gave you a king in my anger. I took him away in my wrath. If you remember the nation of Israel towards the end of Judges, man, they wanted to be just like every, everybody else. They were doing things that were right in their own eyes, what seemed right to them. And they clamored and clamored for a king because they wanted to be just like all the other nations who had kings to rule over them. And the Lord kept on telling them, but I will be your king. But they insisted. And so God gave them a king. And more than likely, he is referring to the first king of Israel, which was Saul, who ended up being a disaster, even though he had everything going for him, man. He was like Papi Chulo, you know. He had everything. He was so tall, dark, and handsome. Almost like me, but I'm not that tall. <laughs> and yet he let them down drastically, right? But, but it can also refer to the northern kingdom's first king when Rehoboam went to the south and he was of the line of David and, and Jeroboam, who was an Ephraimite, who was a servant of, of Solomon, he became king up there. So it could be either Saul and or Jeroboam. And then when he says, 
and I took him away in my wrath at the end when it was all terminated, when it will be terminated, speaking of the last king of the northern kingdom, which is Hushua. Verse 12 says, The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. God had not overlooked the guilt of Ephraim. And so Ephraim's sinful deeds are compared to a document that would be bound up, that is stored up. Or, or, or like a treasure that is stored up or is kept on record. Through these figures, Israel's sin is pictured as something that is guarded carefully until the day of retribution, until the day of vengeance or revenge that God will bring upon them, the judgment that God would end up bringing to court as a testimony against the nation. And so he, he stored it up, he bound it up, and he stored it up for this very moment. He's going to lay it out. He says, this is why you're getting punished. But again, guys, this, he's a redeeming God, and this letter has to do with the redemption. Again, the good news is that the Lord, God, will be the judge of Israel. Even though he's prosecuting them, he's also the judge of Israel. And even though they will not have a king for for a long time after this, it would last for centuries. The Lord will still rule over them as their king because he never changes. The sorrow of a woman in childbirth shall come upon them. He is an unwise son, for he should not stay long where children are born. And it's interesting because the, the women, the woman in, in sorrow or travail is often used in scripture as a picture of extreme pain and sorrow. But Hosea kind of adds this twist to them, given the fact that all the hope that they had seems to be disappearing because Israel had not responded to God's love. They had not responded to the repentance during this time of grace that he had extended for them. And because of their procrastination, they, they are compared to a baby which does not come out of its mother's womb Despite her having these pains, this effort and laboring, she's, she's laboring to, to have this baby. It's one of those labors that some of you women, you know, it's like, man, it went on for 30 hours. You, you see, this woman becomes so weak, and she put all this effort into bringing forth labor, and yet this child refuses to be delivered to come out, and the baby is, 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 is talked about here as an unwise son, one without wisdom, too stupid to come out of the womb, is one of the translations, causing the travail to be wasted. It, 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 it went on so long and nothing was produced, which would end up resulting in the death of, 
of both mom and the child. So he gives us this picture, and yet in verse 14, he says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. And this is where we get those words, to ransom, to redeem, to buy back, to do all you possibly can to bring them back to who they supposed to be and, and be with you. Now, it's interesting because in this portion that we're looking at, it could be taken in the negative light and, and these, these questions that are here or these exclamation points are more of rhetorical questions of saying, should I ransom you from the grave? Should I redeem you from death? Should death be your plague? Should, should the grave be your destruction? And it almost kind of goes in line because he says, because my pity is hidden from my eyes. And yet we know that sin and judgment would be great upon the nation of Israel, but it would never be greater than God's ability and power to redeem. You see, he can redeem from sin and death. So that death and the grave are mocked, basically, because they are now a defeated foe. You see, again, they would not stay dead. God would, re would bring them back, and there would be a remnant left, even from the northern kingdom, that they would continue to be his people. Paul ends up quoting this portion of Scripture through the Septuagint, the Greek uh, Old Testament, referring to this verse here when he, when he talked about it in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. That, that because Jesus had triumphed over sin and death, that, that now could be said, O death, where is your sting? O Hades or hell, where is your victory? Because God is able to redeem from the utmost. And so as we finish here and we come into a time of worship, he reminds them again that they were, a, they were fruitful, but the east wind would come and destroy them and take it all away, and they would become all dried up. And the nation's treasure would be plundered, but it wouldn't be so much their finances as it would be their children and their wives. They would be slain mercilessly by the Assyrian army. Again, destruction will come. Because God said it would. Because Israel was rebellious against him. And yet God revealed his love to Israel through all the past mercies. And now in the present discipline that he's giving them, his mercies are still shining forth. Because he disciplines those whom he loves. And Hosea will close the book with God's love for his people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your word. Lord, it is harsh. And it is meant to be harsh, Lord. And Father, even when we desire to, to just be coddled and just to be loved by you, Lord, there's times that you have to discipline us. And you will be harsh with us, Lord. 
because of our disobedience, because we've allowed other things to cloud who you are, because you've blessed us abundantly and we've forgotten that it was you who did it, Lord. And I pray that you would forgive us tonight, Lord. Lord, if we have strayed in any way, I pray, God, that you would turn us back. Lord, we want to turn back. Lord, we want to humble ourselves, Lord, before you have to humble us. And I pray that even right now as we worship, that, Lord, you would just cause us to enter into a place of just praying, asking you, Lord, to show us what to do, what not to do. That you would lead us and guide us in all truths, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, O oh Lord. I pray that you would go before us even as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.